The viewpoints expressed on Night Fright are not necessarily those of the host, the staff, the sponsors, or the affiliate stations. Tonight's program may contain graphic themes or images. Viewer discretion is advised. We'll put my technical advisor on instead. She's sitting right here with me. Lilith. 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 Say hello to Skype. Say hello to the world. Hi, Lilith. Hello, sweetie. She's bored. We bore her. (laughs) Okay, guys. We're going to get going. Here we go. Um, Showtime. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Brent Holland, and welcome to Night Fright. Get the coffee going. Get the tea going. Or a beverage of your choice going settle back in that most comfy chair kick your feet way up and you know it's always a great idea when you listen to these shows to turn the lights way way down and pull that comforter way up this week we're continuing with our series of shows for halloween and tonight's show and let me just say we'll have your heart smashing against your chest and leaping out of your mouth. But not to worry, folks, because we have you covered tonight. Because our guest tonight is a paramedic. Yes, indeed. Thank goodness he's here to rescue this show. Richard Estep is a paramedic by day and by night, one of the world's best paranormal investigators and authors. Richard's co-author, Cami Anderson, is owner of Asylum 49, a.k.a. the Old Tule Valley Hospital along with her husband, Kim, and niece and nephew, Dusty and Lyle. Cammie has been investigating and researching the spirit and activity at Asylum 49 for 10 years. Together, they've penned a new book, which I'm holding right now, The Haunting of Asylum 49. Everybody loves a good scare at Halloween. Asylum 49 is a former medical facility just outside Salt Lake City. It stands, are you ready for this, folks? Next to a graveyard and it's home to a full contact Halloween haunt with a difference. The ghosts are all too real and they are very willing to interact with the living. Hundreds of staff members, customers and ghost hunters have encountered them firsthand over the years. Tonight folks, investigator Richard Estep and Asylum 49 owner Cammie Anderson have offered to bring us behind the scenes on our very own private ghost hunting tour. How great is that? Of one of the world's most haunted hospitals. Tonight, we will meet the ghostly children who like to tease unsuspecting visitors and the angry ER doctor 
who insists on things being done his way or else. We will explore something called the maze, which is home to a malicious dark entity named the Guardian. And we'll meet Jeremy, who died of severe burns and whose appearances are heralded, are you ready? By the smell of lingering smoke. These and the many other restless spirits have their own stories to tell, their own reasons for continuing to haunt the darkened rooms and shadowy hallways. And they are very, very eager to meet you. Welcome to the show, Richard and Cami. Thanks for joining us tonight. On our Thank you for special. inviting us. We're, right. we're very happy to be here. Thank you both so much. I'd like to start somewhat in an unorthodox way before we begin our tour of Asylum 49. Richard, as a paramedic, you deal with life and death on a daily basis. I was wondering if you could share with us an experience that perhaps unnerved you, or even perhaps what you would call a miracle. An experience that has unnerved me, huh? Yeah, or um, a miracle. Or I don't have, well, I don't have any because I am totally fearless. No, that's garbage. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the most unnerving experiences I think I had was at Asylum 49, actually. Hmm. And uh, it involved, we might be talking about it later, but we had, in the old emergency room, we'd simulate a cardiac arrest in there. We took in a mannequin that I used to um, train paramedic students. Very lifelike indeed. And uh, it has an airway, you know, you can put breathing tubes in it, you can start IVs, all those kind of things. And so we decided we would uh, simulate a cardiac arrest in that emergency room because literally hundreds, if not thousands of those were done for real when it was a fully functioning hospital. Mm. And uh, we'd heard about the doctor, the physician that is seen haunting the ER. He's very no-nonsense. He's very my way or the highway, does not tolerate incompetence, does not tolerate fools, which now I come to think of it is not an unusual trait among emergency room physicians. Uh, and I don't know that it's necessarily a bad one either. Anyway, long story short, we did the resuscitation and we planned it so that hours would go badly. So if, if there was a screw up to be made, we'd make it. We would be brilliant about our ineptitude. So we would trip over IVs and we would double dose or underdose our drugs and pull breathing tubes by mistake. And we'd arrange so that we would uh, get angry at one another, you know, and yell at each other and get frustrated while the rest of the team around the corners of the room monitored the environment, recorded everything, video and audio. Main, checked EMF levels, temperature, ran digital voice recorders, all in the hope that we would be able to interact with this physician or perhaps one of his comrades um, from from uh, earlier in uh, when the hospital was open. Anyway, nothing much happened during the uh, during the resuscitation. I pronounced the patient dead. I'd gotten yelled at by one of my nurses because I've been very rude to her uh, on purpose. I should point out this was all pre-planned, and then uh, I told everyone to take a break. And so we were taking a 10-minute break. I realized I'd left my radio down in the security center, so I wandered off down there to pick it up. And it's important to point out that at Asylum 49, they wedge the doors open, they chock them open, because we're talking about some fairly big, powerful doors, and it would, of course, be a bad thing for them to close on one of the visitors, one of the customers. You know, you could cause some real injuries. So they chock a lot of them open. And the main hallway that I'm walking down, all of the doorways are open, they're chocked, they're wedged, and we've been passing through them all day long. And actually, they've been open for days now, if not weeks, 
uh, in the same position. I grab my radio, I come back, and as I come through this doorway, which is uh, looks like an old confessional room doorway, it slams violently behind me, maybe inches uh, from the back of my head. And uh, I jumped out of my skin. I'm not going to lie to you. I had this big adrenaline jolt run through my body. Uh, I give myself credit, actually, for not yelling out loud. But I was definitely unnerved. In fact, if you ever hear that recording, um, I sound terrified on it. I really, really do. And it's because I'm after 21 years of investigating this kind of stuff, it's never been personal for me until that particular incident. And there was a real consensus among the people that uh, – that I was investigating with that I had gotten on the bad side of somebody with my uh, behavior and uh, I had better apologize quick. Whoa. So what, how did it resolve? Did you apologize in the end or did you just let it go? Did you antagonize even more? Brent, I'm married. I can apologize like a ninja even if I'm... <laughs> so... <laughs> That might be the funniest thing I've ever heard. On <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. She's actually waving at me from upstairs, but not using all of her fingers. Um. <laughs> no, that that that's universal. Don't worry. Love about you, <laughs> they do that. It's, trust me. <laughs> it's a it's a very surreal experience apologizing to thin air, but I made a point of doing it and. Uh, We'd actually arranged, because I'd taken in not just paranormal investigators, but nurses and paramedics, medical professionals on my team, um, I had wanted to there give somebody now. else. That? Either that or it's your wife going to give you hell. Yeah, not my ringtone. Um, I would want uh, somebody else to run the second cardiac arrest. We were going to do two as a control. Right. One would be done badly. That was mine. And then one would be done perfectly as we would really do it. And that was going to be run by uh, my boss, actually, a lady called Jen Roderick, who um, was going to act as the physician. And we were going to run everything perfectly and calmly. Well, Jen took me aside and said, look, it's up to you, but um, I really think you might need to uh, need to you know, get back into whoever's good graces it was that you made angry. So I'm happy to run this one, but I think you should run this one properly and respectfully and, and see if you can, you know. Um, get back on the so, yeah smooth things over so we did and we ran it perfectly we ran the arrest again and just as we've done for real so many times we were calm we did not raise our voices contrary to what Hollywood would have you believe uh, working a, a resuscitation is actually not a whole bunch of yelling and screaming it's not as dramatic as you would think because these are professionals that have done this many many times we all know what our assigned roles are and we all know what needs to happen so we did it that way and Everything was perfectly quiet for the remainder of the evening. Huh. So you got back in his good graces, so to speak. One assumes. That's mine. What about yours, Cammie? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There's so many times that things have happened um, that have been unnerving, that now it just doesn't unnerve me anymore. Um, however, there was something that happened, and it was after Richard came and investigated the hospital. Um, we were setting up for the haunted house. And I was cutting these big black sheets of plastic that make up our mirror or our black plastic mazes. And I was, I felt something touching my back, which was very odd. And I thought, oh, okay, well, something is here. I know somebody's here. We have to coexist. I'm by myself. It's in the dark, but I'll be all right. We do this all the time. So as I continued to cut the strips up the black plastic, I felt them get a little bit more 
aggressive with the pressure against my back. And all of a sudden they kind of pushed me side to side, kind of like you would in the London Bridges game where you would, people would hold hands and they'd push you side to side. That was kind of what happened. And that, that made me a little bit nervous because it was the first time that I'd been touched in any kind of aggressive manner. Yeah, that's breaking a barrier, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It definitely was. It was the first time, and I thought, wow, you guys are brave. <laughs> so in, in both scenarios, I would have been the guy, you would have seen the smoke behind me, and I'd be down the street because there's yeah. no way. So what, you know, what gives with you guys? I mean, why do you want to do this type of investigation? Um, why do I do it? Um, it? It started out as a quest for myself, my own personal knowledge um, before I went to the hospital. I was a, par a paranormal investigator, and it was just for my own personal knowledge and, and um, curiosity that I did it. Um, now I want to find out about who's at the hospital, why they're there, why the hospital, and see if we can further the paranormal investigation field. Okay. And for you, Richard? I do it because, firstly, it's been a lifelong fascination, you know. Um, it started out as a hobby, of course. I've always been interested in haunted houses and ghost stories, uh, folklore, ghost lore, where the two meet. And it's the ultimate question, really, isn't it, Brent? Where do we go after we die? Do we go anywhere? Do we stick around? Do we become nothing? We've got thousands of years' worth of history of ghost reports on record. I find them all fascinating. And I kind of wanted to get to the, tr to the truth of it. Um, each time I go to a new location, I feel like I'm getting a little bit closer mm -hmm. to unraveling that mystery. Okay, there are little kids at Asylum 49, the book, in the book. Mm -hmm. Whenever I hear little kids trapped, it freaks me out, whether they be on this mm -hmm. side or the other side, mm -hmm. mostly on this side. But in this case, they seem to be very happy causing trouble. <laughs> yes, yes, they actually do. Can, um, and can I, you tell us that story? Yeah, um, I don't even know if they are trapped or if they just enjoy being there and visiting. Um, I don't think they're there all the time. I think they're there frequently, but I don't think that they're there all the time. But they definitely do like to cause mischief. Um, they like to scare people. They like to tease people. Um, and they, they really enjoy communicating and kind of showing off what they can do with the equipment that we bring to them. <laughs> so they, there's been many times where they've done something like rolled a flashlight or... Um, moved a pinwheel, kind of spun the pinwheel around or pushed a car and they respond to clapping. You know, everybody would clap for them. Good job, you know, and they really enjoy that. So I, like I said, I don't know if they're stuck. How many are there, Cammie? Um, the most prominent ones, we have four and one of them would be Sarah. Another one would be Tabitha and they, they kind of hang out together. Um, and then Christian and Jessica, and they're together. And we have another one that he's a little bit more quiet, but he um, he definitely shows himself from time to time. And his name is Thomas. Thomas, Richard, how do you establish their names? Well, I think a lot a lot of it has come from the the groundwork that other teams have done at Asylum Forty Nine mm -hmm. and um, investigated. So I cannot take credit um, for even a large majority of this because. Um, investigators and the staff and volunteers they're also not to mention the owners they've all spent countless hours sitting in the dark trying to establish communication with the entities of the asylum and they have gotten EVPs where some of the entities have told them their names directly mm 
and they've conducted spirit box sessions where those names have come through on occasion also. Richard, have you been able to go, or I'll throw this out to Cammie as well, because she's the owner, have, have you been able to go through the archives to correlate some kind of file with the names that have been given? Richard first? Um, I was able to, I got sidetracked to be honest with you as a paramedic. I um, was fascinated with some of the patient um, information hmm. uh, that I was able to find in the public uh, records. But uh, yeah, I mean, a good example is there's a gentleman that used to work at the asylum called Peter Hansford. And he was an x-ray technician. And by all accounts, he was very happy working there. He was a man who enjoyed his job and liked coming to work. And Peter gave his name in a class A EVP, which is completely clear. Well, that's the definition of a class A EVP. Mm-hmm. And it was subsequently validated that uh, a person of that name had worked there as an x-ray technician. And um, that's a hit. That's as much of a hit as you can get. And did he pass away at that hospital? Or did you think he just returned because he liked working there? Why not? If it's not a bad way to spend eternity, the happiest place you were on earth. I uh, I believe he passed away elsewhere, actually, but he really enjoyed his work. That's correct, isn't it, Cammy? He did not die at the asylum. Right. No, he didn't die there. He actually passed away somewhere else. Is buried in another town entirely, and we've been able to verify that with family members of his that we've been able to talk to. Cammy, going back to the little kids, how old were they, by the way? What age group we were looking at? They vary. We're going from age two, three to about eight or nine, okay. um, and everything in between that. Um, we haven't found anybody that has passed away by their names um, in records due to laws that you can't get into all the medical records. Um, so it's been really kind of challenging for us to find anybody. So unless they tell us, or a family member comes to us and says, gives us enough information, we can validate what we've gotten. Um, over the course of the last decade, um, we can't find them. It's very hard. Any chance they may be buried in the adjacent graveyard and perhaps they've just come to visit to play together? Um, It's a very, very big possibility. We've gone and looked for them um, on occasion, but even if we've been able to find, obviously, some people named Jessica and Sarah and things like that, but to be able to validate... Um, if that is indeed the ones that we have that we talk to all the time, it's it's pretty difficult to do that. Richard, how far back does the hospital go? Is it centuries? Is it no, 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 nothing. No, we ju- no, we're talking just uh, a few decades, really. Oh, um, okay. But but what it's important to remember is that uh, even though we're looking at, I believe it's about fifty years of service as a hospital. Cami, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Right, um, it was fifty three when it was opened. Fifty three, good. So. Even though we're looking at 50 years, and that may not seem like a great deal of time, you really have to take into account the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people that would have been through those doors, uh, not only uh, resident in the beds as a patient, but also working there and visiting, who would have brought their own emotional energies to that location. Has there been any apparitions that have been cited, concrete apparitions? I've seen a few of them. Can yes. I just and tell you a personal story? <laughs> I'll tell you why I'm very curious about that, Cammy. because I lost my mom about a year and a half ago in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I would come in to visit her as she was making her way to the other side, she would be staring up at the corner mm-hmm. and she said, do you see that? And of course, I didn't see anything. She said, well, there's so-and-so who was a dead relative. Mm-hmm. Or another time she would say, well, there's an angel in the corner. 
Is this yeah. stuff quite common? Actually, it is. And Richard, he's also talked to people who, you know, since he's in the medical field, who have stories of that nature as well. Wow. And I think that they are, um, you, you, when you pass, you have family members around you. And I think when you're also close to, you know, just right on the doorstep of passing, I think you can see others as well. Um, and Dave Schrader, he wrote a, the foreword of our, in our book, and he has a story about his hospital stay that would... Um, attest to that as well. Richard, could you add to that? I could. When I wrote my book, The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, which was published before Asylum 49, um, and was actually what led me on that path to Asylum 49, actually, I talked to a great many um, physicians, nurses, paramedics, uh, people that work in hospitals, especially a, a number that work in end-of-life care, which to me mm. is without a doubt one of the most heroic professions you can ever be involved in. My hat goes off to the men and women that are involved in palliative care, let me tell you. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's incredible. They are, the, they are true angels um, mm -hmm. in every sense of the word. And it was amazing to me how many of them had uh, similar stories. And a lot wanted to talk off the record, of course, and not be identified uh, because seeing ghosts is not necessarily beneficial to a career in medicine. But they were open about the fact that, you know, um, family members, people that are dying will often see family members and have very lucid conversations with them. It actually happened to uh, to my own mom when she was passing away, you know. Um, and you you will hear uh, anecdotal reports of, of patients who have had perhaps Alzheimer's or dementia and they have not been uh, compass mentis for many, many years sometimes. And then suddenly at the end, it's like a light goes on again, and they're fully lucid, and they're having these intelligent conversations right before they pass. Uh, and I had often wondered whether it's it's a survival mechanism, or survival is not the right word, but a comforting mechanism actually within our own brain or psyche, which eases us into the passage of death. But the more I look at this phenomenon, the less I think that's the case. I genuinely do think that we are assisted when it becomes our time to move on to whatever's next. And who better to do that than the loved ones, friends, and family members we've lost. I'll show you the path on the other side. Mm -hmm. Cammie, once that you've achieved going to the other side, do you feel that your consciousness stays the same, or is there a are you just in a transition mode to another type of energy being? Um, I think that you have your same consciousness, but as well as additional stuff. You have a more open... Um, consciousness to stuff that you've experienced in different life forms and different energy forms. Okay, fair enough. Have you had personal experiences along the same that I've described in Richard as well? Um, I haven't had any near-death experiences or anything like that, but I've definitely seen apparitions, and I know that... Um, Can you tell us about that? Oh my goodness, let's see, there's a few of them that I've seen. One of them was the doctor that um, we talk about, the one that's in mm. the ER area. Yeah, the grumpy guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, I, so I saw him. I was waiting for a group of paranormal investigators okay. to come and investigate the hospital, and I was directly across the hall from an ER, our ER1. And I looked up, and there was the doctor there full... It, you know, he had the hat on, the, the surgery, surgery coat, um, face mask, everything. And he was looking down on the bed as if, as if he was observing a patient. Hmm. 
And he was he was really interesting. He sat there for several seconds, and I was very quiet. I tried very hard not to <laughs> draw attention to myself because I didn't want him to leave. Um, but for whatever reason, I didn't think, lift up your phone and take a picture. I just looked at him, and he looked up at me. He saw me, and he was gone. There is a case, Cammy. I want to ask you, do you think he knows he's passed away and has, and has come back purposely to stay there? Or do you think he just might be, uh, I've heard talk about energy loops. Do you think he mm -hmm. might just be an energy loop? I don't think he's an energy loop. Um, I'm not sure if he's aware that he's passed. Um, but he was very aware that I was there. He noticed me. Um, and he doesn't communicate very often with us. But when he does, it's in a big way. Now, it seems to me, Cammie, I'll ask you this again, too, and mm -hmm. this is reflective of Richard. He mm -hmm. was not happy with the way Richard was conducting <laughs> the operation at all. <laughs> right, right. And so there he is sounds a... like he was meticulous, and um, he must have been a son of a gun for the, uh, for the students that, were, that he was teaching underneath him. Right. Right. Has there been any other incidents that Richard went through by this character? Well, I'd like to say that it's, I, yeah, I, I'd assume that um, this was the Doctor, but there is another intriguing possibility because we never really uh, established exactly which um, entity this was. The assumption was it was the physician. However, there is also a, a nurse named Maria who haunts an area of the hospital directly outside the ER or next to it. Her name, uh, sorry, her nickname actually has been uh, the kind of ghostly traffic cop because she's said to direct spirits um, as they pass through the asylum where, the, where it is they need to go in the way that a traffic cop directs cars. And um, it kind of made me wonder that you don't mess with senior nurses, you know? I mean, they are every bit the sergeant's major of their hospitals. So it's, it's entirely possible to me that I could have gotten on Maria's bad side. Um, and I think, to tell you the truth, I'd be less scared of a, of a doctor. Than of a senior nurse. Cammy, which one of them do you think I uh, I got on the bad side of? If you had to guess. Oh, you know, I really wouldn't know. Um, Maria, she has been seen many times, and she doesn't smile. She doesn't move. She just stands there and looks. But nobody's ever provoked a response out of her because they're just looking at her when, when she's been seen, and they're curious and confused as to why she's just sitting there staring. Um, but the doctor... He was definitely the more um, actively aggressive um, from what we've been told. So it, it could be either one. How do you tell if they're female or male when you're first introduction, introduced to them? You would ask them um, if they're male or female, and then they can come across and tell you that if you're using devices, um, unless you see them. And then it's, you know, like Maria, she, you can tell very much that she's a woman. She's in one of the old-time white gowns with the white nurse's hat, white shoes, and she's got her hair slicked back into a bun. Um, and she's been seen many, many times um, by several different people, even people who have worked there in the past when it was an up-and-running hospital have seen this woman. Um, and the doctor, he's very obviously a man as well. Richard, any era that you could, that, that person would fit into that, you know, kind of... In terms of, of the, the surgical gown, the scrubs? Yeah, and then the doctor as well. They both from around the same area, do you think? Or? I'm, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest, because I wasn't able to find that out in, in, during the course of my research. Um, so I couldn't tell you. But 
based upon the implication, it could be it could really be any time from uh, the past fifty three years, couldn't it? Right, absolutely. So it, it's tough to tell. I did not see the doctor. I did not see the nurse. The one spirit that I did see at Asylum Forty Nine was one of the children, mm-hmm. and she uh, she was dressed. Yeah, dressed. Uh, the little girl was dressed in what I thought was um, a costume, actually a very old fashioned kind of dress. Were you able to do it? talk with her even telepathically or anything along those lines or feelings share feelings leaving aside the fact that i have all of the psychic sensibilities of the average house brick um the truth is that i did not know i was looking at uh, a ghost when i saw her i thought she was as solid as you or i right now which i've heard that from witnesses for the past 21 years and i would always roll my eyes especially now when everybody has a camera phone you know and i'll say why didn't you snap a picture and of course you heard cammy say something like that too i just didn't think to well, I had a phone right there in my pocket, and I genuinely thought I was watching a flesh and blood living, breathing girl um, moving through the haunted house with me because it was in the middle of the haunted house event itself. So I expected there to be a number of actors there, which there were, and I kick myself to this day. Richard, how did she disappear? Did she just she walk around a corner? or She didn't disappear, uh, or that would have been a big giveaway. But see, what's hap- what was happening was, I'll give you the background. Um, Asylum 49 is a full-contact Halloween haunted house. Mm-hmm. So right now, in fact, literally, um, uh, over the weekends, if you go to Asylum 49, it's full of zombies, monsters, vampires, werewolves. You name it, they have it. Clowns, because that's just what we need is more clowns. Um, <laughs> it's it's, it's purpose-built purpose to terrify, and, and the people there do a great job. So the first night we investigated was Halloween. And, of course, you can't really investigate when you have something like 3,000 people going through the building. Um, you know, you're not going to get much usable data. So we actually worked it. We put on Halloween costumes and uh, hung out with the staff and helped them um, you know, uh, pick people out of the crowd and throw them into the... It was great fun, let me tell you. <laughs> but, but then I wanted to go through myself like the customers were to get a sense of what must this feel like inside and, you know, maybe get a little bit scared. So so the Anderson said, yeah, that's fine, off you go. I went through, uh, got chased by clowns, chainsaws, axes, you name it, wolf, man, clown, oh my goodness. Uh, it was terrific. The creepiest <laughs> surgeon ever. All those kind of things. Um, and then... As I was coming towards the end, there is a part where there is kind of a monster sitting in a rocking chair, and he has this shotgun. And the shotgun is, it's like um, air-powered. It's not a real gun, obviously, but it makes a heck of a noise. So this thing goes off, bang, with compressed air in a confined space. Uh, so I got my, my frights in, for sure. Uh, I discovered that sometimes adrenaline can be brown, if you catch my drift. <laughs> and then um, I saw this... Uh, lady, maybe she was 35, 40 years old, dressed in completely contemporary clothing, coming into that room behind me. And there was a young girl in a dress. I put her at maybe seven or eight years of age. And she was, the lady was obviously reluctant. And the young girl was tugging her along by the front of her, her shirt. You know, come on, come on, come through, come this way. And I thought, wow, they, I know they have um, some kids here. There are some fairly young actors at Asylum 49, uh, and they do a great job. Uh, doing what they do and I thought that's a little young even for a, you know somewhere like this uh, I thought nothing more of it and so I left this girl just dragging this lady through and she was kind of laughing like she was having a good time the lady was kind of like ah, you know it's, it's funny <laughs> but it's not and I thought no more of it until I described it to Kim and Cammy Anderson at the end of the evening and then they looked at me and said we don't have anybody that young on staff at all 
I said, well, it's obvious then, isn't it? Somebody's kid came in with them and she was dragging her mom through. That's why she was in, you know, this old, uh, older era fancy dress. And they looked at me and said, we would not let a seven-year-old come through an experience like this. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. So, so that they said, you saw one of our resident spirits. And, uh, that's when I cursed myself for not having a GoPro on, which is now standard procedure. Standard procedure. <laughs> Cammy, have you ever seen the little girl or one of her friends? I have seen the little girl named Sarah. Um, we believe that that was Jessica. Okay. And we wanted to um, Who was validate. the mum? Who was the mum? Was that the nurse? I, I wouldn't know. Um, I, I think, think she, she was, was just somebody going through. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah, I mean, she, she looked absolutely in place for the streets of Tuella, Utah, 2015, which is oh. when this happened. So the girl didn't. Yeah, and, and it's not uncommon for the spirits to um, kind of persuade people to follow them during the haunted house. A lot of people don't know How that so? they are spirits at the time, but when they come out at the end of the haunted house, they'll talk about, you know, and it's particularly, particularly the little girls that like to do this. Um, they'll tell us about a little girl that had lost their mother and this is how they looked and um, we'll be, you know, just kind of go, oh, okay, that's nice. That's great. And not, you know, fully knowing that we don't have anybody that looks like that in the haunted house at that age. Um, and there's been times where people have actually gone through and held the hand of a little girl and come to a ghost tour and we've shown pictures and they've just been shocked because that little girl, that little ghost girl in the photograph is the girl that led me through the maze. And I was holding her hand and she suddenly disappeared. <laughs> oh. So you could actually, you see, I always thought an, an apparition like that, you know, would they be translucent, right? You, you wouldn't right. be able to hold them or anything. Yeah. Not so, apparently. No, not so. And apparently they're pretty solid to the touch as well. Makes you wonder... Um, what they're really capable of. Okay, you brought up something very interesting, Cammie. I'm going to ask Richard. Richard, can you describe the maze and the guardian? Yeah, you have multiple mazes, actually, and they're both quite clever. One is um, trash bags. Cammie told you earlier she was cutting up trash bags, um, which, yeah, means that they hang them from the ceiling, and there are so many of them that once you walk into this maze, you cannot turn around, you cannot do anything without encountering, just, it's totally blacked out. There is always something in front of your face, no matter which way you turn, and you have to push your way through. You're kind of swimming through plastic, if that makes any sense. It sure does. Uh, there's also a, a maze full of clowns, again, uh, in the middle of the asylum, but the one that uh, is most associated with the Guardian, other than the trash maze, is the mirror maze. Mm -hmm. which, you know, you go through and there are numerous switchbacks and dead ends and turns full of mirrors. Um, the Guardian is a spirit that I, I probably should let Cammy tell his story, but he's a... Cammy, would you tell his backstory? And then I'll talk about my interaction with him. Okay, so the Guardian is a gentleman that we no, believe... I, I, I'm stunned like this, folks, because he just <laughs> said he had an interaction with him. And he just, so nonchalant. Yeah, I just had an interaction with the Guardian. The Guardian, <laughs> folks. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. drink my water. <laughs> he's an interesting character. I wish it was character. something else. Trust me, a beverage of choice at this point. Yeah, he's a definite interesting character and one that you don't want to have a run-in if you can help it. Um, but he... We believe he was an old janitor at the hospital, and he wasn't a very nice man. Um, took advantage of a lot of uh, patients, and 
is very much a bully. Um, and he, he also likes to intimidate people a lot, particularly women and uh, some men if he can. He's also physically aggressive where he can he has been known to scratch people and he's been known to push people. Um, he's been known to stand in the way of people as if he's a wall and people run right into him and stop dead. Um, but we don't know his name. The only name he's given us and wants to be known as is the guardian. Hmm. And we've asked him why he's the guardian, what he's guarding, and he will tell us secrets. Richard, mm -hmm. how did you run into this fellow? Well, I, I was intrigued by, by the stories of the guardian because he's very physical. Um, mm -hmm. He is, as Cammy said, he's a bully. And to tell you the truth, I really have never liked bullies. I was a kid that was bullied, and um, there are a few things on earth I detest more. So I wanted to go uh, onto his turf and, and see what we could find out. I wanted to go to him and see if we could get a little bit into his face. Normally, I'm not a believer in provocation. Uh, I try and be very respectful over the course of my investigations, but I will make exceptions on occasion. And this was a personality that, uh, having heard that he had scratched, pushed, slapped um, a number of visitors, this is someone I don't feel um, deserves the same courtesy as as most other uh, spirit entities would. And so, along with uh, my fellow investigator Sean and uh, Misty, the the psychic medium at the asylum, we went after him. We, we locked ourselves in the hospital, so we were the only three people in there and wow. headed into the mirror maze to see if we could entice him out, and he sure did. He came. What happened? Well, um, in brief, because I, I detailed the whole thing in the book, but um, in brief, Misty had told us that the Guardian was coming out. We heard footsteps around us. We knew we were the only people there, and you have to understand that Asylum 49 has has a, a, an intense CCTV camera system, security camera system, you know if somebody decides to visit you, you know, to pay you a visit of uh, the flesh and blood variety. And so we had the place sealed off, and yet we're hearing footsteps in this abandoned um, maze around us. We're in the dark, and, and this is the Guardian's kind of MO, is what I've been told. He likes to stalk people, he likes to intimidate, he likes to instill fear. And we went to a room that is set up like uh, Grandma's house from Little Red Riding Hood, complete with, I kid you not, um, a werewolf underneath the bed that comes flying out if you're not careful um, to, to give you a good old scare. Uh, and, and so this was kind of the room that, uh, that he was most active in. We went in there and uh, Misty had said, you know, he's, he's right there in front of you. I can see him. He's in your face. And he doesn't like you at all, me specifically. And, and so I'd asked why not. And she said, he doesn't like that you're kind of an alpha male. You know, you're, um, you're that kind of person. You are leader of your team. You're acting like a, a leader of the pack. People are, are doing what you asked them to do. And he thinks you should be intimidated of him, and you're not. So I, I gave him a little bit of a, an upbraiding, if you will, um, a piece of my mind. And she said, now he's yelling at you. He's screaming at you. He's cursing at you. So I started yelling back and, and felt vaguely ridiculous uh, <laughs> yelling at thin air. And to be honest with you, as someone of, who's, who's quite skeptical, I would have been very willing to just write that off as an overactive imagination on the part of, uh, of the, the medium. But then uh, she said, he, he's, he's leaving, he's slinking away with his tail between his legs. And we heard footsteps receding off into the, into the maze, walking away from us. Yeah, it's pretty darn creepy. And of course, folks, www.nightfrightshow.com. Asylum 49 is the book. Just click on tonight's guest's book cover. And that'll take you right to a spot where you can order. And he goes into greater detail with this. Something I wanted to um, 
talk to you about Richard was uh, apparently you're not so keen on getting spanked. You're not so attractive <laughs> enough to be spanked. I, Don't I feel didn't say bad. I wasn't. Don't feel uh, bad. You're not. You're not alone. I didn't, I didn't say I wasn't keen on it. You know. <laughs> I'll take the fifth on that though. I'll the fifth. I think your wife's we, waving to you again. I'm sorry. Yeah, but now she's holding a belt. That's weird. Oh, oh. good one. So. The asylum has a, a long uh, main corridor, which is a great place to 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 look for the spirits that manifest the shadow figures, mm -hmm. uh, particularly at the distant end, the far end, outside what was room six, but is now room six six six, which kind of is a fun you know uh, piece of re renumbering. And uh, we decided to do a spirit box session there, and I don't know if you're familiar with this device. Brent, but it's essentially a radio frequency scanner. It hops from frequency to frequency at a sweep rate that you, the operator, set. And there is a theory that entities can sometimes piggyback voice signals, their own voice, uh, into the, the, the gaps between uh, each frequency hop. And I've, I've had nights where this doesn't work at all and you listen to a lot of static, you know, a lot of meaningless static, like the debate last night. Uh, for our American listeners and um, we, we were doing the spirit box session actually my team was I was watching them on the monitors I believe that somebody should be in the security room just making sure that number one nobody else is entering the, the hospital you know uh, in order to keep the environment as sealed off as possible mm -hmm. so one of my investigators Randy said hey you should come out here the box is uh, is talking like you and now it's, it's saying your name I'm like that's interesting so I came out and I heard my name a couple of times, and, and then we heard some someone say, Richard, I love you, which was interesting. Mm. Um, but then it took a turn uh, for the more lewd, uh, which was a little bit more sinister, because we have a number of, fe number of female investigators with us, and it had uh, asked one of them, it said, you know, bend over, and she'd asked why, and it said, uh, spank. And Sean, one of my colleagues, said, uh, who do you want to spank? It was quiet. Said, Richard, no. I'm like, oh, <laughs> always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Um, <laughs> and it said, uh, Robin. <laughs> Sorry. And it, it said Robin, which was the name of the, the female nurse that had uh, been told to bend over. And then it went on to call her a word, which has four letters in it that I won't use. Um, I can tell you that it begins with a C, and we'll leave it there. Yeah, okay. But uh, she was not taking that at all, and she, she put on her mom voice, and said, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> uh, and it, it wouldn't back off, so it, it was saying it went from being quite playful to suddenly being rather sinister and creepy in the worst mm -hmm. sense of the word, you know. Uh, and then this was the session at which we believe one of our investigators received three scratches uh, fr along her right shoulder down her back. And there's pictures of that in the book too, folks. By the way, it's it's barbaric. It's horrible. It's horrible. So you do take big risks, without question. You know, all kidding aside, we just had a great big laugh. But all kidding aside, there are some there's some danger to it, isn't there? It's not something that that I encourage anybody to to really do lightly. Um, and, and it depends upon the location. But yeah, I would say you, you should be prepared for that. Okay, Cami, any second thoughts about opening up the? Uh, the haunted house tour no actually majority of the communications are very um playful and fun um, but you do have those ones just to kind of the same as in life if you are you know out mm. in the public you come across people who aren't very nice um 
and it's the same for spirits. You get the ones that are very nice and very talkative, and then you get the ones that are fairly mean and aggressive and that don't want to communicate with you. Um, so it's a full-on experience um, when you're doing an investigation at asylum. Let's say, for example, I'm going to ask Cammy this. Let's say, I don't know, you end up with an ex-politician in there that's decided to come and have some fun. He's a bit of a bully. He's got silly hair. Mm -hmm. How do you get somebody like that to move along, an unwanted spirit, let's put it that way? Um, it's not very easy to get them to move along, but from doing investigations in the past, and I've done residentials as well as worked at the hospital, you try to make it as uncomfortable as possible for them to be there. Um, if you don't give them um, what they need, they're not going to stick around. Richard. Would you cleanse a ghost if it was like the bully that you described before? If you wanted to get rid of that ghost and just tell them to move on, are there cleansing scenarios that you would do? I personally don't, but I do have colleagues that um, that do uh, offer that kind of service. And when I say offer that service, they don't charge for it. But a lot of it depends really on, on the nature of the situation. And having talked to them, and I think the jury's still out on this, but having talked to them, they say it depends on whether the spirit actually wants to go. Mm-hmm. You know, do they want to move on? Do they want to move forward? Um, mm -hmm. One of my friends who's a Catholic priest, yes. in addition to being a paranormal investigator, sometimes he brings what, what he calls the spiritual artillery. And there are um, rituals by which they can try and force out negative entities with varying degrees of success. Uh, and in my two decades doing this, I've seen those attempts work. I've seen them not work. And I've mm -hmm. seen them make things worse. Mm-hmm. Cammy, in your past, has there been any situation where you've had to do a cleansing? Or do you believe in that or not? Um, I have had to do a cleansing. Um, and actually, the, the most extreme one was at the hospital. Um, we have quite a few people that come through. And along with people who come through, there's times that they bring things and other people with them mm. that affect them personally. And in this particular occasion, I was able to... Um, help somebody who I watched physically their eyes turn black um, and I was able to help them out and that was just with water really yeah wow yeah it's terrifying I would have been t I would have called a paramedic okay <laughs> no kidding all kidding aside can you tell us Richard about the St. Baldrick's Foundation uh, yeah, I would absolutely do that. Thank you. So one of the, one of the books we're talking about, um, The World's Most Haunted Hospitals, I give, uh, donate 10% of my royalties from The World's Most Haunted Hospitals to the St. Baldrick's Foundation for Pediatric Cancer. Um, these are the people that are leading the fight against one of the most vile diseases, maladies imaginable. Uh, they're not only helping um, uh, children with cancer, uh, very directly with care and with assistance, but they're also funding research projects to put an end to this blight once and for all. So 10% of my royalty checks for that book uh, will go directly to the St. Baldrick's Foundation. Thank you for that. That's terrific, by the way. www.nightfrightshow, folks. You'll find both books there. Just click on the covers, and that'll take you right to a spot where you can order them from the comfort of your own home. Any special plans for Halloween? Let me ask you this, never mind that. Would you guys sleep over in this hospital? We have. Yeah. Have you we, really? We live yeah. there. I, I live there. Cammy <laughs> does that all the time. That's her job. Um, but I'll tell you, our special plans for Halloween involve Asylum 49. We're going back, or at least I'm going back. Cammy will already be there. 
but I'm going back for another week with a team of investigators to, to delve a little deeper into the mysteries. Is there any spots that you avoid going to, Cammy, when you're there alone at night? Um, there's none that I avoid. There are some that are definitely a lot um, more uncomfortable, and that would be the Guardian's area. Um, he is just a genius at making you afraid, and whether you are or not, you're going to feel it. So, <laughs> is, is there a basement, Cammy? Is there a, a boiler room or anything like that? Yes, there is. There is a basement, and it's a it's a very interesting basement. When we first um, got the hospital and went down in the basement, there's a boiler area, and then there's an area that's a dirt crawl space. And in this dirt crawl space, there was a chair. And we thought that was really interesting. Why would somebody have a chair down there? And what was even more um, interesting and a little bit disturbing was that there was what looked like restraints on the legs of the chairs and the arms of the chairs. Oh, oh, that's yeah. creepy. That's yeah, creepy. Yeah, it's couldn't figure out why in the world they would need that. <laughs> no kidding, Richard. Is there an area that you want to investigate that you haven't already when you go back? I would like to go see the Guardian for a rematch. Um, I do wonder if we have unfinished business. We'll have to leave it there, and that's a good way to leave it. Will you come back on the show and let us know how that goes? Delighted to. Thank you yes. both so much. Happy Halloween to you both. I am Brent Holland from Night Fright. Thanks to you all for joining us. See you next time. First-person witness accounts. Order yours right now. Nightfrightshow.com. <laughs>